Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What leads a man to the United States and Cuba and then to Central America? We'll talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Mission Show, episode 168, with Esteban Zavallos. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks to our engaging announcer, that was Scott McClelland of FX Missions, and also thanks to you for joining us. We want to provide a way for thousands of people to hear a message, make a connection, and to take action. This week, we're going to talk about what it was like to grow up in Ecuador and Colombia and then move to the U.S. at age 17, how God got our guest through a season of surprising racism, and what the group that our guest is involved with is trying to do in Central America. At the end of this, I'm going to have a short update from James Human. That's a pen name. He was our guest in episode 95. We're going to look just a little bit about what God is doing in reaching Sikhs in North America. One other thing before we get to our guest, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'd like for you to pray, and I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but as we enter the new year, I'm going to have an opportunity for you to join me in a fundraiser. And this is this is really joining. This is not something where I'm trying to raise funds and I'm not giving to it. My family is also committing. I'll tell you more about this after we get to the first of the year. But for right now, I just ask you to pray and ask God if and how much you should consider pledging for this. I really want you to hear from God before I take the opportunity to share more with you because I want you to be guided by God, not swayed by my amazing or not-so-amazing ability to share something with you. My family is committing to this fundraiser, and I'm asking you to consider it as well. As we're raising funds, this may span most of next year, and I'll be trying to use this as a teaching tool with my children. Perhaps it'll also be a tool for you to uh, to work with your family and friends and church group to pour into them a love for missions and what God's doing in the in the earth. That's all about that for right now. I just ask that you pray about your your involvement, and if you hear from God, write down the answer and keep it. And then also, please keep me in prayers as I'm trying to plan how I would be able to effectively raise funds for this ministry, because it's not just a teaching tool for me. I also want to see the, uh, this ministry have the ability to do what they're doing and to expand my ability to give by involving other people. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm super excited to be talking with Esteban Ceballos. He was born and raised between Ecuador and Colombia. He moved to the U.S. at about age 17. Now he's a uh, husband and he's a father of two daughters who were adopted from Ethiopia. He grew up in a Christian home. He's been a youth pastor, a Hispanic church planter. But then in 2009, he started working with a church planting organization as a missionary in Cuba and Asia, and now as part of a team going back to Latin America. So Esteban, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. I'm, I'm glad to be here. 
I'm really glad to have you here. You know, one thing that the people listening right now might not know is how at home you're making me feel, because I had to re-record that introduction a few times. It's a little bit embarrassing, <laughs> but it's it's great to have you here. Now, one thing I'm one thing I'm wondering, as, as you say in the introduction, as part of a team going back to Latin America, is that something that you're moving towards now, or is that something that you're already having in process? Yeah, uh, for, for right now, we're trying to, to build a team. So we're, uh, we're in transition mode, if you can call it that. Okay. Uh, we, were, we were based from South Carolina, moved to Bangkok, Thailand, and now we're back here in Tennessee. And yes, right now we're, we're in the beginning stages of setting up a team, raising support, and, and move towards creating what we want to see in Latin America. Okay, and I'm hoping that maybe we get back a little bit more to that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So one thing that I'm kind of wondering about, I grew up in the U.S., and I've spent most of my life here. I'm wondering, what was it like to grow up in Ecuador and Colombia, but then move into the U.S. at age 17? Yeah, well, growing up in Ecuador, so my dad and my mom are Christian. My dad is a pastor. So part of my life, I grew up in seminary Mm. in Colombia, in Cali, Colombia where my dad and my mom were students there for four years. So I grew up a little bit in a in like Christian bubble, if you can call it. Uh-huh, my uh-huh. first probably six to seven years that I remember of my life were like in a Christian bubble. But after that, we going back to Ecuador. We went straight to to the world, if you can call it that way. You know, we're public, no public school. It was a private school, but it was a non-Christian school. Hmm. So... And at that point in Latin America, Christianity was not as strong. The the gospel was present, but it wasn't a huge wave like it is a couple of years later. Like if, if you look at 10 years ago, the gospel really penetrated in Latin America. I grew up where the gospel was not as strong yet. But yeah, it was interesting. It was it was different. I grew up with, my dad has a PhD in theology. My mom has a PhD, I mean, I'm sorry, a master's in Hebrew. So I grew up around books, Christian books. My dad has and my mom have worked in a lot of Bible translation projects. So I grew up in that. And that was my home. But then in the streets or in the school, I was just a regular kid. So that was my world, you know, in a, in a, in a Christian world, immersed in the, in the world outside of, of Christianity. But it was it was good. It was very good. I have friends now in Latin America because of my dad's contacts. A lot of people know me. I don't know them. I don't remember them, but they remember me as the baby of, uh, of my, well, Juan Carlos, my dad. And yeah, whenever we moved here to the state, that was a culture shock. So just to give you a picture, I grew up in Quito and Cali, but they're, they're big cities. Mm-hmm. They're a little bigger than Nashville. You know, Quito has probably about a million people. So it, it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. And from there, we moved to a small little city called Batesburg, Leesville. That probably has like 50,000 people. And, you know, it's very southern city where, you know, they go hunting and all the stuff. I didn't grow up with that. You know, so it was a very culture shock. It's still in those parts in the south. They still struggle a little bit with racism. Hmm. So I was in the middle. You know, I was, I'm not black. I'm not African-American. You know, who I am. And it was very, very different and very cross-cultural to me that I, that I thought. I thought at the beginning it was going to be great. You know, it's going to America, the dream, you know, I'm going to come in, have a job, work, make a lot of money. And it turned out to be is is way harder than it sounds. (laughs) 
And in the midst of that, I found, I found God and I found God's purpose for my life. So it turned out to be okay. But at the beginning, it was a little bit rough. It was hard. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I, I guess I hadn't really thought about the whole, the racism and all of that kind of stuff. I s- assumed there was going to be some kind of culture shock, but I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. As I'm thinking yeah. about that, was there anything, how, how did God see you through that time? How did he get you through that? And d- w- what happened? Well, uh, so in Ecuador, like I said it before, in Ecuador at that point, me and my brother were the only Christians in a school of probably like mm. a thousand people that at least we claimed to be Christians. And really, I claimed to be, and I knew I was, but, you know, I wanted to be part of everybody, what everybody was doing. And soccer was a huge part of it. So I would go and play soccer with my friends, but really I wasn't living like I was I supposed to, you know, i you know, I will use bad words. I will, you know, do whatever everybody else did, you know. And even though we have the stricter rules from my parents, we did a lot of things that we should have done. But it was, it was, it was okay. And, and whenever we moved here to the States, there was a little bit more freedom here, you know, mm-hmm. different things uh, here that we had access to. And it was a little bit shocked. But in the midst of that, I ended up going to a Christian college. Columbia International University. Hmm. So like I mentioned before, soccer is a huge, huge part of my life. And soccer became a god for me for many, many years. And at that point, it it was what I wanted to do. And since my SAT and my TOEFL wasn't very good since I was just here for a year Hmm. before I I had to take those tests, uh, the only school that took me was CIU. And CIU became probably one of the best places for me other than where I, f- I found my wife, I also found God for the first time as, as real as it can be. Mm. It was my second year when in college when I realized that, you know, following Jesus, it, it, it is more than just, you know, going on Sunday morning. It takes a lot more. And uh, it became real to me. It wasn't a specific moment, but it was just one thing behind another thing. I broke my ACL, my third year, my third semester, I'm sorry, there. Oh, wow. And I think that helped. That helped a lot. Looking back, you know, I use, always use the example of, of the shepherd, you know, that the shepherd sometimes to break the knees of the, of, of the legs, not the knees, the legs of the, of the sheep that go away mm. and they carry them on the shoulder so they will remember the shepherd and they will get closer to the shepherd. I think God did that to a certain extent, literal in my life, breaking my knees. I had so far, I had four knee surgeries, mm. <laughs> so it took me, I'm, I'm a little hard-headed, so it took me a while to learn what God was calling me to, to do, you know, like, it, soccer is fun, but it's not what I'm supposed to be doing, and he, little by little, has taken that away. I, even now, I mean, I, I still struggle with soccer taking over my life, you know, as watching soccer, listening to soccer, playing soccer all the time, and, and God has taken me away little by little, but, but yeah. So, so being a fairly typical American, I don't really have a soccer team. If I was to pick one, who, sh- who should I root for? Well, <laughs> well, it depends. That's the problem. You're asking the wrong guy. I, I have tons of teams <laughs> Do <you>? uh, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, like here in the U.S., I pull for uh, the New York team, the new, uh, the new team that they have. But this, uh, there's going to be a new Atlanta team. My biggest team is Barcelona from Spain. Ah. But because there's also a Barcelona in Ecuador that I pulled for. So I, I pulled for both of those. Those will be my, my first teams. <laughs> really cool. And of course, from Ecuador, whenever we play in the World Cup, that just happens 
a few times. <laughs> Doesn't happen often, but <laughs> but yeah. So one of the things I was thinking about asking you, you've already answered, I was going to ask, you know, kind of what led into God capturing your heart and transforming your life. And you've, you've gotten to that one. Yeah. I was also wondering though, cause you'd mentioned that I think it was during that time that God revealed your purpose or your calling to you. Can you share yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah. So at, the, at that point at CIU, you have to do a, a internship or, or what they call it, a practicum. Okay. What they call it. And I was, to be honest, I was trying to be super lazy, so I didn't want to do it. So <laughs> I tried to find the easiest one. So there was a guy in Saluda, South Carolina, who had a church, and he needed some help. He was, it was a Spanish church, and I ended up being the youth pastor there. And the reason I picked that is because it was far away, so okay, I could drive, and I love driving. So I could drive away from Colombia, be outside of everything, go to another city, spend time with people that speak Spanish. At that point, the Spanish population, the Spanish population in Colombia specifically, were not as high. Mm. So there was a huge pocket of Spanish speakers there in Saluda. So I, and I like that. I like to be around my people. So I went there, and little by little, this, this guy, George, he really started discipling me without me noticing. He would ask questions that they were intriguing, and uh, it turned out to be that I really liked to talk to him. And one thing, you know, I, I think was very organic that one thing started leading to another and we start talking about the Bible and who God is. And I remember one night after church, you know, I, I played the guitar, so I played the guitar for them and I was ready to go. And he set me down and he started asking me like, what are you going to do? You know, like, what? Well, I mean, you're in college, your parents are paying a lot of money for you to be in college. And, you know, you have your broken knee, you cannot play anymore, what are you going to do? <laughs> and it really intrigued me because until that point, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And he kind of told me like, hey, you're good with people. You, you're good at what you do. You love the kids, the youth there. And well, you don't keep doing this and see where, where God takes you. And at the same time, my brother, who was in college at the same time, he went to youth ministries and it was an easy, easy classes for me. So I started to take them and it turned out that I, I liked them. Mm. I, I like hanging out with young people and I like what they, what we do with them. Well, I like the discipleship piece. You know, I, I started realizing that not everybody has a dad like I did or a mom or a home like I did. And, you know, I think God just, I don't know how to explain it, but just got broke my heart towards broken teenagers. And years later, I think he used the same thing. He started using broke my heart towards a broken church to a broken community where there's no churches. And yeah, and that's how, you know, little by little, I think God through his word, through people has pointed out to me that this is what I need to be doing. That's that's really neat. As you think about your life and your ministry, are there any maybe key scriptures that have begun to come out or things that kind yeah. of are foundational? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite verses is James 1, 5. You know, if you mm. lack of wisdom, you will you ask for it and he will give it to you. And, you know, whenever you come from another country to, to this nation, you know, to America, there's, there's a lot of things new, you know, there's, there's tons of things. Mm -hmm. As simple as McDonald's, you know, they're super cheap. You know, you do, you do have access to a lot of things and, 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 and you're overwhelmed. You feel overwhelmed. Well, at least that's how I felt. And I needed wisdom. 
I didn't need knowledge. I needed wisdom. And I needed wisdom that comes from God on what do I need to do about certain things, you know? Do I need to follow God into what it looks like to be a career, if you can call it uh, yeah. a career, you know, of, of being a ministry like my dad? Do I want to do the same things that he did? It, it was, I just needed wisdom. So that, that verse always struck me as I always need wisdom. And also being from overseas to me has been hard. You know, my English, my accent, you know, you can tell right away he's not from around here. <laughs> so you, you do come in, I don't, I don't know how else to say, you come in with, with I, I, a lot of things people look at you and say, hey, he might not know what's happening. You know, so you do need to know to know how to handle situations like that, you know. And even now, you know, I'm I'm 35, but I started doing this when I was 19, 20, you know, and I was talking to 40 year old man. I needed to know, you know, I needed wisdom of what to say and what not to say. And I learned I learned in the hard way what not to say. <laughs> you know, I said it before I should have said it, you know, and the way to say it. And also John one fourteen, you know, he became flesh and dwelt among us. To me is is what his mission is all about. You know, you know, we do need to leave the gospel out the same way that he did. You know, he came down and he lived among us. And he pointed out everything that he did, he pointed out to God. And the same thing I have to do. You know, that's he the example that he did for us. So everything that I do, it needs to point out to the Father. And that's how I have tried to live my life. I'm not perfect. Like I told my daughters, and having kids will teach you that, that you <laughs> yeah. are not perfect. <laughs> and, you know, that whatever I do, I need, it needs to be pointed to God. And even if it is, I'm sorry to get mad at you because you disobey me, but I shouldn't react like the way that you reacted. And, I, you know, ask forgiveness to a 10-year-old, it takes a lot of guts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, uh, but it teaches you. It teaches you like that's you know that is point out to God. You know because God loved me, He forgave me. I have to forgive you, but you also have to forgive me because I'm not perfect. He is. So yeah, those two verses for me have changed my my life a little bit. I would say, and this times other more the book of Ephesians. You know that's one of my favorite books. The book of James is one of my favorite books. But yeah, but those two verses will be the key ones for me. Wow. So just sort of telling the truth a little bit here, I've had to do the very same thing, asking for forgiveness from a two-year-old. So <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I know yeah. that experience. You, you mentioned some of the challenges that come with being a bit of an outsider. Were there also some things that being an outsider made possible for you because you weren't originally part of that culture? Yeah, well, this, this is the funny thing about what God has done in me. So you know, I'm from Ecuador, and mm. if you go out there, you know, in the Spanish world here in America, there's not that many of us, unless we live in New York. If you go to New York, there's a lot of Ecuadorians there. There's a lot of Ecuadorians in Houston. But in South Carolina, and even here in Nashville, where I am, I haven't found that many Ecuadorians. So even going in to work with Spanish-speaker people, I'm not from Mexico. I'm not Mexican. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people, I didn't grow up eating tacos. Uh, my first taco was in Taco Bell, nice. you know, here in America. I don't like spicy food. So, it, you know, for me, working with other cultures has been since the get-go. So mm-hmm. one thing that I, I have learned that is easier for me and people listen sometimes is that you come out with a different perspective. 
you know, you're the outsider. So you can point at things that they're strange, you know, and what I've learned on time is you don't point out, you ask questions, you know, why you guys do that? You know, what, what not do it this way? Or, you know, how come you guys believe that? Why not? What about this? You know, and has, has given me an advantage being an outsider because I don't, you know, they value, sometimes they value your opinion just because it's different. And also, you know, I come in in a room, people are like, oh, you're from Ecuador. There's tons of questions, you know, for people that are searching, where's Ecuador? You know, yeah. what, what does it look like? <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's sometimes you find that. And it took me a while. I, I, I have to be honest here. It took me a long, long time to understand that people here in America don't need to know so much stuff about the world, like people from outside of America, just because that's the reality. You know, like that's, I don't know how to explain it, but Americans sometimes don't need it because everybody knows where America is. Oh, yeah. But no, everybody else knows where Americans don't know where Ecuador is. So, I mean, a clear example for that is I grew up, you know, where in history class, we learn about the independence of the U.S., you know, mm -hmm. it, it, that's part of the history class. But here, Americans, I don't think you guys know anything about the history from Ecuador. Oh, I think that's uh, accurate. Yeah. Well, how, why would you guys know that? You know, so anyhow, but so that gave me, again, going back to your question, I think that gave me a little bit of the, of the edge of like me being able to see things different from other angle and, and people listen, some people won't, but some people listen and, and that, and, and they keep you, they give you value to what you said that that's, that makes it even cooler. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question, but I, oh. I think I got to it somehow. Oh no, that, that was, that, that was great. There were actually a couple things okay. I wanted to key in on. One was wow. that you ask questions. I think that that's something yeah. that we could do a lot better at. I think that a lot of times we operate in the pride that we think that everybody expects us to already know something. And so then we're afraid to ask a question. And I think that we need yeah. to ask more. The other is I think we actually do need to know more about the world. Maybe, maybe in yeah. our arrogance, we think that we don't, but let's be honest, America is not the biggest country in the world. It, we might think of, yeah. of ourselves as the richest, but that doesn't mean that our opinion of ourselves align with the fathers either. So I think we actually yeah. do need to know so we can understand. So thanks. With that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift yeah. our focus a little bit more towards your ministry. Okay. Sounds great. Hey, Engaging Missions listeners, this is Jim Baker from episode 119. Thank you so much for being a faithful listener to this show. Brian has been a huge encouragement to me personally and to my podcast, Doing Ministry Well. After a long hiatus, we finally have some new episodes up, and we'd love it if you check it out over at doingministrywell.com. All right, we're back with Esteban Ceballos. He's been sharing a little bit about himself. Now we're shifting our focus more toward the ministry. If you remember, he's in the process of building a team to go back to Latin America. So Esteban, can you share with us what, what, you, what it is that you're doing? Yeah, so I am part of a group called Saturation Church Planting International, and our, our focus is that by 2060, we want to develop a network of what we call Antioch churches in 10 regions around the world. And, and primarily, we want to focus in what we call pivot nations. A pivot nation is that uh, a nation that has their geographic influence, and it has the resources needed to influence, influence the area. So before we start to Latin America, let me give you a picture of what I've been doing mm -hmm. before I jump back. So I, I started with saturation church planting with the idea to, 
to, like I said, to develop network of Antioch churches. So what we do pretty much is we go into nations that we know through relationships or through research, but primary two relationships, there's a movement of, of the gospel, meaning the gospel is going into the corners of, this, of that country, and churches are being planted, not necessarily as a strategy in the sense that, okay, we need to plant 10,000 churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's the case, but we want it to be a church planting as a result of a discipleship of a whole nation. So, for example, in Cuba, we started in 2009, well, before then, 2005, some people went in with some connections we have, and they went all over the island. Now, that's an island of 12 million people. Hmm. So they went and they trained people again and again, sharing what, what God is doing, what, God, what does God want for this place, what it would look like, what he wants in this place, if he does what he wants to do in this place, asking questions to people to see who really has a heart, not just to plant a church, not just to reach their circle, but to reach a whole nation and even the world. So in that midst, we start, we start training a lot of them. And we spent about two, three years just training people. After that, we, we select a handful of people that what we call their apostolic mindset. The apostolic in the sense that they have a heart to keep going, hmm. to, to reach the corners of the earth. Interesting enough, until today in our team, anybody who's in our team has been or has a heart for the world, not just for their own country, but for the world. That, that excites me because I, I think that's, that's the purpose of what our existence is to share the gospel to, or have the gospel available to everybody in every corner in the world. So with that mindset, we go in and, and we, we research them, we find them, we train them, and, and we mentor them. And that relationship never ends. So... In Cuba, we did that. Then we, we trained them. We trained about 5,000, 6,000 people, pastors, lay leaders, you know, presidents of the denomination. And then we handpicked about 25 of them, and we decided to go through a whole year of training. Now, because we don't live there, we have to travel in. And that's one of the values that we have. We want to empower the nationals to do it. So let me give you another example, another place that we're working also is in India. India it has 1.2 billion people. That's a lot of people there. Yeah. So what we try to do for many years is, is we find the guys. And now we have, I think it's seven networks in different parts of India. But those seven networks are taking responsibility to go to other parts in Southeast Asia. So, for example, we don't go to Sri Lanka. They go to Sri Lanka. We help them. We mentor them. We coach them. But it's their responsibility to reach Sri Lanka. It's not ours anymore. So that's where the people nation is. You know, if you go to Southeast Asia, if you have traveled there, uh, you go to Dubai, you go to Bangkok, you go to Vietnam, you come out of those airports or even in the airport, you're going to see Indians everywhere. So the Indian world is everywhere. Even here in Nashville, there's tons of them. There's everywhere you go, this Indian community. So they have an influence to the nations. So we start thinking, what it would look like if those guys, wherever God takes them, they will be the representative for the gospel. So that's why we went to India. So they're taking responsibility of Sri Lanka, Nepal, Bangladesh, 
what I'm missing there. Oh, and somehow they're trying to get to Pakistan. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're trying <laughs> to do it. You know, so that's, that's pretty much our perspective. We want to go into nations. We want to help the national church to reach their own people. And the result of that will be a movement or a network of churches that live in different and they're reaching their areas. And also they're starting influencing the nations around it. Cuba was a little bit different because okay. Cuba being the Caribbean and not for them not able to leave their country as easy as other nations, it was kind of like a steady work, like a static work. They did not go out. However, most of our Cuban friends have a heart for the world. We have a guy in, in a city in Cuba who has a heart for, for, uh, for Congo, Africa. He has never been there. He has never flew, fly ever, but he has a heart for Congo. And if you go to his church, he has a map over Congo in his office and he prays for it daily. Mm. Now, why God has that? I don't know. I don't understand it, but he has a heart for Congo. He wants to reach the Congo. So again, we're trying to find people like that, that have a heart for the nations, a, a heart to reach every man, woman, child with the gospel. And we find them, we train them. And the result of that, what we want to see, like I said, is we want to see a, a network of anti churches that, you know, they're developing their leadership, they're developing their people for this, for this purpose, to reach the world, to make sure that every man, woman, and child all over the world has opportunity, a repetitive, a rep, well, a opportunity, I'm not going to try to say that word, <laughs> a, 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 a opportunity to hear, see, and touch the gospel of Jesus Christ many, many times. And, and being able to plug into a local church where they can grow as believers. But yeah, so in that, in that stage, one of our goals, like I said, is, is the regions. We want to be in 10 regions in the world, and Latin America is one of them. Now, you heard a little bit about my, my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm from Ecuador. I grew up in Colombia. I've been here in America, and here in America, there's a lot of people that are not from Ecuador and they're not from Colombia. So I, God has put a heart for me, in, in me, I'm sorry, for the Spanish-speaker people. And I get excited about the church, the Spanish-speakers community, and, and the Hispanic church. So a couple of years ago, whenever we were sitting in Bangkok, working in Southeast Asia, my team kind of asked me, hey, will you consider move to move back to the U.S. to start thinking about Latin America? So that's what we did. I've been wanted to that. To do it since I was, you know, since I was 20, and now that I'm 35, I'm starting to do so. So right now we're we have a semi team, if you can call it. We have te- people all over the U.S. that are ready to go. We're in the stage of raising support. Each one of us is in a different state. Each one of us needs to figure out how to, uh, you know, sustain or or own personal families and our lives. So we are in that stage, and we hopefully. We have an idea of what we want to do. We do have some work happening in Latin America. So we want to finish that and continue that uh, and probably use them, and since they already know who we are, use them to be able to keep moving towards Latin America. Our goal is that we will find that pivot nation. I don't think we have found it yet. Hmm. And part of that is because we have not traveled and gone seen and go here and uh, really, really spend a good time, quality time praying and hearing what God has for Latin America. And it could be that a pivotal nation turns out to be the U.S. 
you know, uh, it doesn't have to be a nation that is, you know, Spanish speaker forsake, you know, like Brazil could be a pivotal nation too for us in Latin America or Spain. But, you know, if you think about it, Miami is a great spot. You know, everybody in Latin America has access to Miami. Well, Miami is in the U.S. It's not considered Latin America, but it could be. I don't know. But yeah. So I, I don't know if, if, if that gives you an idea of, of what we're doing at this point, but I think I think I cover it. Well, that, that gives me so many ideas. <laughs> the, okay. The, the one that kind of really stuck out to me is you were sharing about what, what you were doing in India and how there are yeah. Indians pretty much everywhere. It, I kind of flashed yeah. back to the 1980s when I heard somebody say that, you know, the way things are going, the church in the U.S. is no longer going to be the spiritual leader as though we ever were in the world. And that, you know, in the, if we didn't get to if we didn't get it together, it would be somebody else. What I appreciate about yeah. what you're doing is you're just looking for where God's working because you're already part of his yeah. kingdom and you're just making investments yeah. there. Yes. Yes. That's one of the things that we do whenever we go to a nation. We want to follow the Holy Spirit. So. You know, if, if you look at the history, church history, God never stopped. Like, for example, we cannot say God is not doing something in Africa. I think God is doing something mm-hmm. everywhere. But for a period of time, God uses nations or focusing in nations that are, are doing something very specific and unique. You know, Cuba, for a period of time, a couple of years ago, it was very unique, where it's very specific. India is very unique, very specific. There's no India anywhere else. In the world, mm-hmm. you know, it's not China. You know, God did something in China too. You know, the same way that God used Europe and God is using America. But yeah, so we, we want to go where the Holy Spirit is leading us to, and we want to follow the Holy Spirit. We don't want to get ahead of it. So yeah. So, so you mentioned you're looking for that pivot nation or that pivot place, almost, if you will. Has God begun yeah. to reveal to you how He wants you to work with the people there once once you've identified that? Yes, yes. So we we have we have in in our minds and in, in what we have our experience. We have a training that we do. We have some principles that we follow. You know, and I can share those in a few uh, in a few minutes with you about them. But yes, we I have I have an idea of what we should do in Latin America. But we also, as a team, as an organization, we believe in teams mm-hmm. in multi leadership. And so we have some guys. There's a guy in Syracuse called Jordan. We have a guy in Buffalo called Jim. We have a guy in Syracuse called Rainier. He's from Cuba. And myself, we have another guy from Argentina. He's trying to figure out where to move to Miami or Houston. So he's debating that, Alex. And we we are going to become the team, and we're going to try to figure it out. And each one of us has different roles. Each one of us has different gifts. Each one of us has different backgrounds. Mm. You know, uh, so far it's just... Four of us speak Spanish. You know, the other ones, they don't. So we do have an advantage whenever you speak the language. Even though I grew up in Ecuador, I have spent my more, more than half of my life outside of Ecuador, uh, outside of Latin America. So I might want to hear somebody who has been living in Latin America, like Alex or Rainier, to have more experience. So we will we'll come out as a team whenever we start working when we are able to figure out our funding together and start coming out with more specific strategy. But in general, let me explain to you how the general strategy works. Mm. So we go to nations that we have invitations. So right now uh, we have a friend working in Honduras and El Salvador. So we have gone into those nations. We have 
through connections, we have done a lot of training. And our training pretty much is three things. We go in and we share what is God's vision and what is God's mission. We believe that God's mission has never changed. You know, a reconciliation. He's in the mission of reconciliation. Reconciliation reconcile us to himself and relationship us to the world. So he's doing that. So we want to we wanna make sure that people understand that that's the only mission that exists. Hmm. We need to be that relationship. We need to be ambassadors, using what First Corinthians says, uh, mm-hmm. be the ambassadors of himself here on earth. And that's it. And we need to reconcile them to the Father. You know, the Father needs to reconcile us to himself. So we need to make sure that people understand that, what is the vision and the mission. Then we do need to understand what is church. So we want to make sure that people understand what church is. If you go back in history, I think we have uh, the Reformation uh, and we have access to the Word of God. But the leadership, the church itself, the church institute was never reformed. So in the sense, the structure of the church is kind of the same as the Catholic Church. So we need to go back and really understand, okay, wait a minute, what churches, you know, what, what, what was God doing? You know, what, what was God uh, doing for? Why is he doing it for? How he's going to do it and why he's going to choose the church, why God chose the church to do this. You know, and w- whenever we talk about church, we're not talking about the leaders of the church. We talk about the people of the church. Mm-hmm. And the last thing, uh, the last thing that we cover through this envisioning that we call, uh, call it is leadership. You know, what exactly is leadership? If we said, if we said that whatever God is going to do in the world is going to do to all Christ's people, then that means that the leaders, we have a, a piece of the pie, but it's everybody who calls themselves believers that are responsible to do this. So we go back to, again, to some of the principles we have, and we start with that one. It's what God is going to do to the world, uh, in the world, I'm sorry, is going to do to all Christ's people. Whatever he's going to do in the world, he's going to do through a decentralized structure, meaning spread out all over the place. And the third one is he's going to do it through a leadership that empowers people. And we explain that to our leaders. After we explain that to our leaders, and believe it or not, there's so much going on in the world right now that some of the leaders is just, they just, it's too much for them to think through that. So we always start, he was in a great example. We start with 5,000, we end up with 25, <clears> and now we just have seven. Now, I'm not saying that the other guys are not doing it. I think the other guys are doing it, but these seven guys are the ones who make sure that the vision and the mission of God is being spread out mm-hmm. in the Cuban church. And with those seven is what we do. We start working with the Antioch church model that we call it. And for us, there's seven characteristics based on, on the scripture that I, the Antioch church has. And I can go through them very quickly. Some of them are very tricky, so I'm going to try to go very fast, but okay. uh, in little detail of what they are. That way people can have an idea. But an Antioch church or a church that have an Antioch model is a church that is target-driven, meaning that it's responsible for a specific geographic areas that they, they feel God has called them. So there's the neighborhood, there is their city, there's their region, and there's the country, and sometimes outside the world. It's a church that also have what we call the teach the people incarnate values, meaning that make sure that everybody in the church is living their life in a different way. 
you know, and, and, and there are five values that we can explain later, but pretty much it's those, the characteristics of a disciple, making sure that every person in that church has that. We also want a church that is empower-intensive, people-empower-intensive, meaning that the leaders are always, always identifying leaders and training. You know, based on Ephesians 4, 11, our, our, our role as leaders is just train the saints. So we, are don't, we don't exist to make sure that we are doing what we're called to do. We exist to train the leaders, I mean, to train the people for them to do what God has called them to do. We want also a church that's lateral, laterally posture, meaning that they're not thinking about growing themselves, but they're thinking about spreading. Yeah, what is the word? Expanding. Spreading. Yeah, expanding all over, in in organic ways. They don't want to be. They don't want to be centralized. They want to be decentralized. We also want a a, a church that has a, what we say an interdependent leadership. Is a leadership that depends from each other the same way that marriage depends from each other, the same way that the Trinity depends on each other. Uh, that's the leadership they should look like. And we want that them or we want to help them to relate to other churches. You know, here in America, there's tons of them. Overseas, there's a few. And sometimes, sadly enough, we believe that the church across the street is uh, our enemy. Mm-hmm. It, because, you know, because... You know, they, they, they believe, you know, they, they should worship with their hands up. And I believe that I should not clap when I'm singing, mm-hmm. you know. So we want to make sure that, hey, we're in the same team. Whenever God comes back, if I'm reading scripture correctly, whenever he comes back, he's going to pick us up. He's not going to pick the Baptists in a bus. He's going to pick the Pentecostals in a bus <laughs> and the Presbyterians <laughs> right. in another bus. He's going to pick us all together. And it's not going to be, uh, in India, we always use, it's not going to be first class, second class, third class. We're all going to be in the same boat. And it's going to be surprising who's going to be in that boat. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyhow, yeah, now, given that we don't, we don't, we don't believe in what's called ecumenical moment, movement, meaning that, you know, just because we have a church and we believe in a spiritual being, we can be part of something. No, this is a relationship with churches to accomplish the mission of God. Mm-hmm. This is not like I'm going to be friends with the Mormons. I'm going to worship together. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about we're going to work together to make sure that this city has the gospel present in every corner, in every street. There's somebody that's representative of the body of Christ. And the last characteristic is telescoping, a church that thinks about the world somewhere else, a church that partners with somewhere else in the world to do something that the church here or the church there cannot do apart from each other. Now, that was super quick, so, but pretty much that's what we do. We identify, we train, and we coach. And we have an idea of what we want to do. We have an idea of where we would like to go. But like I said, we, we really need to spend a lot of time searching and finding those key leaders. In Cuba, it took us almost five years in one country. Hmm. Now, we were, we were new, and we were trying to figure it out. In India, it took us three years, and that was... Five of us all the time going in and out, in and out, in and out, and, and going to new places. And we spend a lot of time traveling, a lot of time in the car, a lot of time eating with people, you know, and talking to people and challenging people and sometimes hearing things that you don't want to hear. But, yeah, that's what it takes. So we need to do that for Latin America, too. Wow, that's that's good. For those of you who are listening, I'd like to just kind of key in on something that Estevan shared. He's he was talking about reconciliation, about being ambassadors for Christ. And 
this is like the third or fourth guest that we've had on now pretty much in a row that's talked about that. So I think there's really something there. So I would just like to encourage you to to consider what that might mean in your life, how you can be that yeah. minister of reconciliation, that ambassador, wherever it is that you are. Now, with that, we do need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward you as the listener. If you are enjoying the Engaging Missions show, you should also check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. You can find that at fxmissions.com. I have an update from James Human. That is a pen name. He was a guest on the show back in episode 95, where we talked about Sikhism and learned a lot about Sikhs. James has a ministry where he works with the church in uh, generally in the broader North American context to understand what Sikhism is, and then to reach out and meet the the actual needs and spiritually connect with Sikhs with the goal of sharing the gospel. One thing about Sikhism that you might not know is that it's actually the fifth largest world religion. And uh, a lot of us, at least in North America, don't know anything about it. And so it's really important that James is able to do this work. He works primarily in Canada and in the Western U.S. right now, and he's been seeing some positive movement in Canada. I'll share a little bit about that. He's actually got a Punjab Sikh background believer who's spearheading some of the work there, and they've been able to begin going to some parks and sit down and talk with groups of 15 to 30 Punjab men. They're they're developing some relationships, and they've also been able to share the story of creation with a couple of them. And this is a breakthrough. There's a lot more that's happening right now that he didn't share, and uh, he's hoping to share more, and I do hope to get that update from him at some point. Out in the western U.S., he actually, at the time that he sent this, he had returned from a 12-day trip, and there was one church where he preached on that trip that's actually asking him to return and to do some more training, so that's very exciting for him. And also, since the trip that he made in April of 2016, he where on that trip he actually met 16 pastors from five denominations. There's actually now been a Sikh fellowship that's formed in one of the churches. He's also waiting on an open door in some other areas of Canada, and there's a lot more going on in the southeast U.S. that he hasn't shared here. As far as prayer support, I would ask you to join in just praying for more open doors and more laborers in the field. And particularly, God seems to be moving in Canada, in the western U.S., and in the southeastern U.S., so I'd ask that you pray that. And in doing that, I'd ask that you maybe consider praying Luke 10.2, that's about sending laborers to the harvest, and consider adding a reminder to your phone or something at 10.02 a.m. and p.m. every day. When you do pray that, Remember the work that James is doing and ask God to send more laborers to that. Join me in doing that. I would really appreciate that. And I I know that James would, too. This is just one way that we can join our hearts and our prayers with what God is doing around the world from wherever we are. All right, we're back with Esteban Ceballos. He's been sharing a lot about ministry, about his approach toward ministry, about what the team is planning to do. Now we're shifting our focus more toward you as the listener in the last few minutes that we have left. So Esteban, here in the U.S., at least in where I live, it's becoming more and more common to look up and realize that your neighbors or your coworkers are from someplace that's not here, maybe from a different world religion, maybe from a place where we think that only missionaries go. What would you share with somebody who's beginning to realize that? Yeah, well... Being the outsider coming in, you know, just for you guys to get a picture of who I am, my wife is from New York City. She is as white as she can be. So she's one of the few New Yorkers that has nothing. (laughs) You know, she's not half Italian or anything. She is 
white, white, white. My daughters are, like we mentioned before, they're from Ethiopia, so they're very, very dark. <laughs> and then I am from Ecuador. I look very Latin. So whenever you see your family, a lot of people ask, what happened? What is going on? <laughs> so we're unique. But yes, there's people like us everywhere, and more and more, there's people coming in. One thing that we as Christians, we need to understand, and I think uh, that's part of what I get excited about it, is that for some reason, there's places in the world that are attractive to the world, to other people of the world, mm. uh, all of the places, sorry. So I came from Bangkok, that there's tons, tons of people from other parts of Europe, Asia, that move into Bangkok. Here in Nashville, there's tons of people from other parts of the world that I have never been, I don't speak the language, and, and they're there. So the idea that we need to go overseas to missions, I think is changing a little bit. Mm. At the same time, the U.S. in Myanmar has become the mission field, and in, not just for the international ones, but also for the American uh, community. But I would suggest that number one is for you to pray. You don't know where that family background is. You know, a lot of them are escaping different situations. It might not be escaping persecution, you know, per se, but a lot of them have pressure of sending money back home. You know, they need to be successful here to maintain uh, another home back, back wherever they're from. So a lot of them are very stressed. You know, a lot of them might don't know how to drive. A simple little thing like that, you know, that we as Americans, we grew up thinking, hey, I turn 15, I drive. You know, being in Bangkok, you realize that a lot of the world, you don't need to drive and you don't can't afford a car. Mm -hmm. So you can approach it as a, well, these people are stressed because they have the responsibility in the world or they're stressed because cross-culturally is completely off the radar for them. You know, it's like you've never seen it before. And having a conversation with them is amazing. It's just, if you can just go in and, and kind of ask questions as as it's silly as it sounds, to me, questions break, break the walls. You know, like, uh, I think my neighbor, I'm trying to figure out where he is, but one of my neighbors here to the right or left, um, he is from China. And I have talked to the daughter because the dad does not speak English. The daughter is a student in a university. And he cut the grass just at the same time that I cut the grass. So I have waved. And you can take it as speaking English. You know, not, I don't speak any Mandarin or Chinese or whatever the language she speaks. But I have talked to the daughter for like two minutes. They're always in a rush. But at least I wave, and now they wave back at me. And the only thing I can do is pray. I don't know what they're doing. I have no idea what is their, what is their life story. But praying, praying for them is great. You know, and ask questions. Ask questions, ask, as silly as it sounds, ask questions, who they are, where they came from, what is life for them, what can you do for them, do they need help, uh, stuff like that. Well, that's good. Is there maybe a, a, an internet resource, a tool, a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? One of the things that I have done in the past, because in, you know, in Bangkok, you know, I've been in the street and then I meet somebody from Russia, you know, or, or I'm playing soccer and somebody, a friend of mine was from Russia. And I have no idea anything about Russia. I went online and I typed, you know, where the, the city where they're from, you know, and I find out they used to be, they used to be part of uh, some, another country that was absorbed by Russian. Mm. So there's a lot of background there, you know, and you come back the next day and say, hey, 
So you from here, and this is what happened. What you think? What happened? And it's like a light came on to him, his heart. I mean, he, we were supposed to be playing soccer. We talked for like 20 minutes <laughs> by the field about his life. And I was just shocked. Now, did I agree with that? At, at that point, I just wanted to have an open conversation. So the internet is, you know, is, is full of resources. Uh, there's also tons of books over there about cross-cultural ministry. But I would suggest, this is just my opinion. Uh, sometimes we come in as believers as like, I'm going to share the gospel with these Muslim friends or these Hindu friends or these Buddhist friends right off the door. Um, that sometimes is, is aggressive. Mm-hmm. And for them, you know, for them, our relationship is more important. I'm not saying not to share the gospel. I, I believe that you do need to speak. It. You do need to speak the gospel. And, but at the same time, maybe not the first time. Hey, my name is Esteban. Welcome to Nashville. Have you heard about Jesus? Right. Well, maybe it's a little bit rough. You know, they're like, I don't even know where is this at. You know, what, what church is? You know, they have an idea of what Christianity is based on what they see on TV. You know, and, you know, you guys can picture if you turn the news today, you know, all the politicians that we have on TV, they claim to be believers. <laughs> yeah. So that gives you an idea. That is what people see who Christians are. You know, that's who they are. To me, growing up in Ecuador, I remember one of the presidents in the U.S. put his hand on the Bible. I remember asking my dad, like, are they Christians? Because we don't have that overseas. You know, you don't have a person put the hand on the Bible. That's just, that's just in America. Mm-hmm. So the picture of who, who Christians are overseas is not the same picture of what, you know, what we think it should be. It comes all confused through, you know, through, through all the TV and all the stuff that we have. So just slow down, takes time, and pray. Pray, 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 and pray. That's good stuff. If if somebody's been listening to this and they want to connect with you to learn more or to maybe be become part of your support team or anything like that, is there a good way for them yeah. to connect with you? Yeah, well, I can give you my, my phone number. That'd be probably the best, easy okay. way to remember. It is 615-893-3263. That's my cell phone number. You can also email me. My email is my name, so that my, might be a little bit hard for people. <laughs> so I'm going to spell it really quick. It's E-S-T-E-B-S-M-B-O-Y-A-N-C-E-V-A-L-L-O-S, C-E-V-A-L-L-O-S, altogether, 1981 at gmail.com. That's great. And for those of you that are listening, we will have all this linked up in the show notes as well, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Esteban Ceballos. So you're still going to have to know how to spell his name, but that's where we'll have those. So if you're on your way to work or something like that, don't worry about trying to write it down. Just stop by the show notes page and you'll find all of that. Esteban, thank you so much for being here. This has been a huge privilege. Thanks to Esteban Ceballos for being with us. And thanks also to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Esteban Ceballos. That's E-S-T-E-B-A-N-C-E-V as in Victor, A-L-L-O-S. That's where you'll find ways to connect, comment, and share. Make sure you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Mike Puckett, who led the shift from a traditional campus ministry to leading a band of campus missionaries. The best way to make sure you don't miss that is to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. 
Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you have a story of how you have been equipped, challenged, inspired, or encouraged by the Engaging Missions show, we'd love to hear from you. Please send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.